Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Once again, for allowing us to use their music for free. Hi, I'm Poser. This is the Sneaky Good Podcast. And again, we have a full house. As always, producer Chris, making sure I don't screw things up too badly. Howdy ho. Jake. Hello. And crossing international borders, Seth. How are you guys doing? <laughs> is it really international? I mean, it's just Canada. They still count. They still count. <laughs> I'm one hour. I'm I, I'm 45 minutes away from Champlain, New York. See, yeah, but do people from Louisiana really recognize Champlain, New York, as America? <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I mean, while we're on the topic, uh, but it is weird that uh, once you get like the Montreal area in a in a weird way is closer to Louisiana spiritually than the rest of America. So Certainly. we count that. I've, I've always thought that Montreal and, and New Orleans were like sister cities in a weird way. Yeah, but I think that's, that's, there's a cultural aspect that's the same. Yeah, we both like the fleur de lis. Yeah. The food is good, I think. I don't yeah, know. We, yeah, we each have unique food. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, we have a different kind of law or something than the rest of, than everybody else. We kind of want to secede from the union. You know, it works <laughs> out. <laughs> we definitely want to secede from the union, let me tell yeah. you. Free Quebecois. <laughs> yes, this is now a political broadcast. <laughs> no longer will we be under the boot. <laughs> well, even if we succeed, we're still a boot. I mean, that's the shape yeah. of the state. Yeah. Um, but we're getting closer and closer to the season. We uh, Next week, we might actually do a preview of a game, an actual game. So uh, speaking of which, while we're talking, I am doing my due diligence and I am watching Georgia Southern's offense. Wow. Yeah. You're watching pulling double tri- duty here. The triple option. The triple option, yeah. Um I'm I'm actually really excited about playing a triple option team because triple option is just fun. And and, it, and as an old guy, there's a point in your life where you don't like the option until you turn like 40 years old, and then suddenly you, you like everything that happened in black and white. And you're like, yes, the triple option. That's the way football should be played. Ah! Especially when it's Army and they're using it to get fourth down after fourth down converted throughout the entire season. I'll probably write this in like the article I write about Georgia Southern, but I'm a little disappointed, and you guys will probably be disappointed too when you watch it, because it's not, you know, they go from the shotgun and they... They run. It's funny because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, this is just like all the kind of quarterback run stuff that you see the modern spread team do. They just do it all the time. Like that's their whole offense. As Boo. opposed to, like, yeah, exactly, right. I want the wishbone. I want <laughs> the, the like Willie Fritz option, which is like not really 
the options. Yeah, he's just they're reading ends. It's zone read. They're reading the end. It's like okay. Yeah. They just, yeah, they run the read option. They just don't throw it. Yeah, so they, exactly. They, just, <laughs> they, they, they run the read option only without the option. Got it. Um. <laughs> but. We will save all that fun Georgia Southern stuff until next week. We, we will try and – we're not going to drag out a whole episode on Georgia Southern. But we are getting close to something that represents game week. This is our last off-season program of the year. So this is not quite a preview because I don't want to say, hey, this is exactly how everything's going to play out. But I kind of want to go through the position groups and we can kind of talk about, you know, what is our standard for success at each position group? What are we expecting you know, are there any gems out there? You know, what could be a surprise? What would failure look like? So we'll start off with Seth's expertise. We're going to go straight to the quarterbacks and our hero, Joe Burrow. Every year I expect the quarterback to win us games. And this year really, really is finally the year that I think it could happen. Of course, I thought that way with Brandon Harris, and I thought that way with Danny Etling, who, who, who was a pretty good quarterback. But I really, really, really believe it this time with Joe Burrow. Uh, one of the things I've been thinking about recently, though, is how I think we're in good shape just as a whole with the depth at quarterback. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, we, we've only seen limited action of, of Miles Brennan. But if anything were to happen to Joe Burrow, it's time. You know what I mean? It's time for him to, to be a playmaker. So and I think and I think he will be. I mean, he's he's been in this in the not in the system but in the team for a few years now. No reason for us not to have solid quarterback play, even if Joe Burrow gets injured. Yeah, because it seems that the coaches have really been talking about Miles Brennan, and the problem is this time of year you never know what's just hype and what's an honest appraisal. But it does seem that Miles Brennan will at least be a capable backup. He could have taken off, you know, after Joe Burrow came here and took the job. But instead, he's kind of patiently just built himself into looking like a college player. Because when he got here as a freshman, I thought someone was going to break him accidentally. Right. <laughs> and now he at least looks like a quarterback. And looks can be deceiving, but that's a big first step. Because it, it definitely says that he's put in work. Yeah, and I think that he's got everything you need. I mean, I'm not a big guy in terms of saying, well, he's, he's strong armed and he's tall and whatever. And, but it, I, it's hard to like get past that sometimes um, like the, the physical traits and he has them all. So there's, you know, no reason other than, you know, can he process um, reads and stuff and then actually throw the ball accurately, which is obviously easier said than done. Um, but he, he's got it all. So I don't see why not. Of course, the, you know, it doesn't happen very often for LSU quarterbacks to be able to play quarterback well, but hopefully uh, either him or Burrow are the, are the guys that can do it. Yeah, this is definitely a program that's been cursed with uh, poor quarterback play. And, I mean, I don't just mean like in the last 10 years. I, I, historically speaking, um, LSU has not had great quarterbacks. Um, call it the curse of YA Tittle. I don't know what it is. But it seems like early on we had, you know, Abe Michael, you have Y.A. Tittle, you have Burt Jones in the 70s. And re really after that, it kind of dries up. I mean, Tommy Hodson's kind of a legend, but Tommy Hodson's numbers kind of tail off in his upperclassman years. He's kind of a function of having started for four years more than of being a truly great quarterback. So, you know, Burrow is this – it's not just that he's a talented guy. It's that he represents such hope 
for the LSU fan base because they've been waiting for a quarterback. I mean, just a really good quarterback for a long time. And so they, I feel the fan base puts its fears and its hopes onto every guy who comes in, you know, walks through that door because the fan base is so desperate for that kind of quarterback. So are we setting up so ourselves up to fail? What do you think, Jake? No, like, I mean, I don't think so. I think, I think he's going to be really good. I mean, I don't know how to like, I guess, phrase it. When you watch him, he, he has, I mean, he's not a, like, he doesn't have a super strong arm, you know, but he makes generally all the right reads. He can make most of the throws. And most, I think what I like is that he wants to make, like, he trusts his arm. And like Danny Elling was good, but he never really trusted his arm to like really make big throws. And that's mostly because he just couldn't make them. Like Burrow trusts that he can make the throws. And generally he did. It was inconsistent. Like more later in the year, he made them more so than early in the year. But even in some games, like some of his completion percentage was a byproduct of the fact that he went for throws and that he didn't like take a sack or, you know, just try and chuck it away or whatever. Like he went for stuff. And I think with better receiving play and a better offensive line and maybe a system that's more geared towards what is best suited for him, he can have a really good year. And also, I think, you know, we don't always talk about it a lot with him, but if you factor out sacks, like he ran for over 500 yards, which was one of the best running seasons by an LSU quarterback ever, I believe. I think it was, at least in recent memory, was like second or third. Yeah, I think Jefferson got near 1,000, but yeah. Yeah, I think- Jeff- Jefferson, yeah, Jefferson was close to number one, but he was second or third, I believe. And- I'm not sure Jordan Jefferson was a quarterback, though. Eh. Sorry, 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 sorry. No, we don't have to get into this. We don't have to get into this. I'm I'm defensive of Jordan Jefferson. He's taking too much abuse. No, I know, I know. Tommy Hansen, I'll kick because he's up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I, I, I think that's a real element that, you know, which I think they did use last year, but I think they could probably use even more in the event that he improves as a thrower this year as I mean, cause last year, I mean, it was kind of like, it was kind of just like a tool they would kind of use. Like sometimes it was, yeah, he can run. So like, if we kind of need him go for a run, but it was, you know, it was kind of sometimes also him just kind of scrambling. A bit. Yeah, it, was, it was more of a surprise. Like the running of yeah. Georgia while designed, it was still, Oh my God, this guy's running. Yeah. And I think again, it's, it's, it's not always like super pretty with him, but I think he, um, to, not to use this term like deceptively quick or agile or whatever, but he can gain yards for you. And I think that's something that some, sometimes in the past LSU kind of used as like a bit of a crutch sort of with some QBs tend to be in kind of like, I guess, the Les Miles there with like a Jordan Jefferson or Anthony Jennings. Um, it would be like, all right, well, um, we can't really trust you to throw it. So please run now. But here with Burrow, I think it's a addition to what he can do with his arm. And so I think in this offense in particular, they're going to be out of the shotgun a lot, and they're going to be running lots of read options. That could be something to use. And so, yeah, I don't blame. I think it's some like I think some of it has to be tempered. If he is like one of the best QBs in the country, like I'm talking like six, seven best, I would be pretty darn surprised. But would I be surprised if he's like a top twenty QB in the country? No. And I think that can be a reasonable expectation, and that he can certainly be a a quarterback that can win LSU games. Like, I think he is going to be good enough to win LSU one or two games this year. And I think what I like about him is that he has a little bit of that cockiness that you want out of your QB1. Like, he knows he's the leader. He kind of comes out there. He wants that spotlight a little bit. 
you know, he's doing more media this year. I know it's because he's a senior, but, you know, he had a huge write-up in The Athletic. He, you know, he had a big feature piece in The Advocate. They're really – he's really putting himself forward as I'm the quarterback and this is my team. And that can be a really good sign because it shows some confidence. But I will say, while Joe Burrow, I agree, is not – he's not going to win the Heisman. He's not going to contend for the Heisman. But he might be – outside of, I think, Kellen Mond, I think he's the most important quarterback in the SEC. Uh, two is better. But Bama's loaded everywhere. If Tua goes down, there's another guy right behind him who can play. Yeah, same with Fromm. Fromm is better. Probably. Right. But, but Georgia, Georgia's, God, they, have, yeah. they, they just grow quarterbacks on trees in Georgia. But I think Kellen Mond and LSU are very much how these quarterbacks go, go their teams. And I'd even put Fleet Franks in that group. In, in that group. Those three guys, they need to have big years for their team to have big years. And how much you believe in them sort of becomes how much do you believe in the team. And it's nice to, to know that I think out of the three that you named, and there's probably others we can put in that grouping too, Burrow's probably the best. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. It's, it's, nice, it's a nice feeling. I mean, yeah, you could put Bryant in that group in Mizzou, but I, I think they'd be good even without Bryant. And yeah. Um, South Carolina has Bentley. You could you definitely make that case about Bentley as well. He could put him yeah, in that Bentley's group. But yeah, he's in that middle tier. Someone who, but who, on the flip side, Missouri and South Carolina aren't thinking we can win the national title or even we can win the SEC. A and M, Florida, LSU—that's three programs that want to be in Atlanta at the very least. Yeah. Which is why I think their quarterbacks, in a way, and I'm putting this in quotes, are more important. So I think from what's a successful year, I mean, Joe Burrow. There are two benchmarks I think he's going to be judged by. Can he at least approach or set the single season passing record for LSU, which is only 3,300 yards? So if he doesn't get that. If he doesn't get that, LSU's not having a great year. He, he need, and the second thing he's going to get judged by is does this team contend for the playoffs? You know, is this an 11 12 win team? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, I think that the, the passing records thing, especially if LSU is going to go, you know, I don't know exactly what their run pass ratio will be, but could you see it being. 55 pass? Yeah, I could see as, as low as that. I would like it to be 60-40, but yeah. it, it could be 50 Yeah, I was going to say it was 60-40. I think it'll be – I mean, the way they're talking, I'd be surprised if it wasn't 60-40. Well, there's also the problem is you don't know how close games are going to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's always you – know, uh, The fourth quarter it. ruins those numbers because sometimes if you're well behind, you're chucking it. If you're well ahead, you're just running the ball because you're running out the clock. Yeah. And I, I'm not saying that's the the genesis of LSU's run pass splits, but it it has helped in years past. LSU wins a lot of games by blowout. Yeah, for sure. If we're if we're talking, let's say we're just talking the first, you know, the first half, first three quarters, like in in close games. If we're if we're about sixty forty, you know, if we just look at the game state and we say in close games, uh, if LSU is sixty forty or even in the high fifties. He really, really should be throwing for over 3,000 yards next year. Right. I, that's exactly what I think. But let's move on because we we're talking about the 60. Let's talk about the 40, the running backs. At the end of the year, who do you all think is LSU's leading rusher? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I had a bold, you know, the bold prediction uh, article that'll go up. Um, I'm not sure when, but probably somewhat this week. I had my one of my bold ones was, and I mean, just you know, fortune favors bold. I guess was that John Emery would rush for over a thousand yards. 
That's um, fair. But I, I cached it with, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire goes over 500 yards receiving. Like, I think the touches will be relatively, maybe not evenly distributed. Like, overall, I think the kind of, like, touches in terms of, like, receiving and rushing, I think are going to be pretty evenly distributed. But I think when LSU needs to run the football, I think Emily's going to be the guy. I think he is the most explosive back for sure. I think he's got just the highest upside in terms of the things he can do. Throwing the ball, he hits the hole super well. He picks up speed sometimes late in his run. I just think as, as a full three-down back, he's the guy. But in this offense, and kind of what we've seen some of the spring game, Edward C. Lair, I really could have some success out of the backfield. And so I think he's going to make some hay there. But if we're talking just strictly rushing, I, I, I'm going to go with Emily. What do you got, Seth? What Jake is kind of saying, it reminds me of, you know, Fournette as a freshman. And, you know, obviously there was a stable of backs kind of in front of him. And, okay, obviously Fournette was, you know, one of the biggest recruits of all time. Emery's still a five-star, but maybe not at that level that Fournette was. But Fournette came in and, and had 1,000 yards. And McGee, I'm looking at the stats right now, Terrence McGee had 500 yards. So I could see that happening too this year with, with Emery getting 1,000 McGee, okay, so McGee had 112 carries and 17 catches that, that year. Obviously, like Jake is saying, Edwards Hilaire will have probably somewhere in the 30 to 40 catches, I would imagine. Uh, so it won't be like the, 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 the run pass splits for uh, Edwards Hilaire won't be like McGee, but I can see a, a very similar situation where Emery comes in. Maybe not as the as the the guy right off the bat, but just kind of ends the year as uh, as the guy like Fournette did in in twenty fourteen. I think if anybody's going to hit a thousand yards, I'm not quite there yet on Emory. Um, freshman running backs, they're just so unpredictable. It's possible you can contribute as a freshman. I mean, obviously Fournette's the example. Jeremy Hill was great right away. Darius Geist didn't quite get a thousand yards, but he was awesome as a freshman. Um, and you'll also see it at other programs. You know, guys come in and tr- contribute right away. But I think the difference is, is Edwards Hilaire is starting as the starter. He has that job. I think Emory, by the end of the season, will be our starter. Uh, but it's going to take him a while to get that job. And I think the big thing is Edwards Hilaire is such a weapon catching the football. He's going to be like that Roger Craig type if we're going way back in time, like a real running back who's an extra receiver out of the backfield. I think Edwards Hilaire is going to have over a thousand yards, but it's not all going to be rushing. It's going to be all purpose yards. And once you start throwing in kickoff returns, which he returns as our leading kickoff returner, I mean, he could be looking maybe at a season where he gets about 1500 yards from uh, all purpose yards, which would put him in the top 10 of all time. That, that would be a great season for him. Um, he might not quite be at that level, but that's a Dominic Davis kind of season. And Dominic Davis also had this, uh, share the rock. But I think at the end of the year, I think Jake's right. I think Emery ends up taking the rushing title for the team. I just think it's going to be, he's going to be close to like 700 or 800. It's just because they're going to, they're going to share so many carries. I mean, a lot of it depends on like how many carries he does get. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm not, I mean, like Travis Etienne at Clemson rushed for 766 yards as a freshman, but he only had 107 carries. I mean, he, he was tied. He was actually tied for second on Clemson's um, team. He, Kelly Bryant had the most carries for them that year. He was tied with Tavian Feaster with, among running backs for carries. 
Travis Etienne is maybe the best running back in the country. Not saying that John Arbery is necessarily going to be that good, but I think he could be. And so if he hit, if he gets to 150, 170 carries, I could see it. But if Tyrion Davis maybe gets a healthy share of carries himself, if you know Edward Zelaer gets a good load as well, then yeah, maybe they all end up around 100, you know, 100 to 120 ish. Like Fournette had 187. Yeah. I mean, I even think as a freshman, so. I even think Lenard's going to get some carries. I mean, he's not going to get a ton, but I think he's going to see like thirty or forty carries on the season. Chris Curry, I think, will get short yardage stuff, but you know that could add up. Yeah, I, that's my big thing is I just don't think Emory's going to get the the number of carries you need to get a thousand yards. But this is a good running back by committee. This is sort of what LSU used to do before you kind of went on that Hill Fournette Geis run, where you just had a whole bunch of guys and they were all super talented. I mean, like Spencer Ware didn't rush for a thousand yards. I don't think. Maybe in ten? Did he do it in ten? That's possible. But I mean, that I mean, that oh, group no, so I was deep. thinking. I was thinking of Stephen Ridley. My bad. Yeah, I mean, they, they're just we're used to having groups that are so deep that it's hard to find that one guy. And I think honestly, that makes LSU's running back core more dangerous. That you don't have one guy you can stop. Like, this goes back to the 2011 team. You had Ford, you had Ware, you had Blue, you had Hilliard, and you had McGee. He was a freshman at the time. I mean, that's that's a, a comical amount of options, and that's kind of what this team aspires to be. Yeah, I, I think it's it scares me um, just on a, like, uh, if we're going to rank them on the depth chart, I, where, does, where does Fournette fit into this? You know, with all these, with the two freshmen coming in, with Chris Curry, who, you know, we all thought might have broken out last year and didn't, so maybe he'll break out this year. Like, I, I don't know where Fournette gets his carries. Like you said, 30 yeah. to 40. I don't know. That, that's I don't a lot. Know. I think Fournette, um, coaches by their nature are conservative, and I think Fournette yeah. fills the role of the guy I trust. Mm-hmm. You know, when Edwards E. is getting a breather and I still want a guy who can catch the ball, but I know won't put it on the ground. I think Fournette's going to get the call in those kind of situations. First downs, second and reasonables. I don't think he's going to be on in like crucial, like third and shorts that you have to pick it up. I don't think he's going to be in there on, you know, must convert kind of downs. I think they're going to put him in in where it's easy to succeed. He had, you know, 18, he had 18 touches last year, and we figured, I mean, this offense is going to run more plays. Yeah, I can see. I don't think maybe not 30, 40 carries, but like yeah, 30, that's probably touches. too many. Yeah, he's going to lose touches overall. Yeah, yeah, I could probably see it. Yeah, I'm probably overestimating his touches. But more the point is that everybody's got to fight for t- touches in this offense, and that honestly makes the team more dangerous because it's not like oh well, this guy's gassed. You don't have to run the guy 20, 25 times. No one's going to get 20, 25 carries in a game. You know, everybody's going to get 10, 15. So in the fourth quarter, they should be a little bit more fresh. And then maybe you can get Emery busting off a big one against a more tired defense. Yeah, like I don't think like Nick Brissett led the team last year with 240 attempts. I don't think anyone is yeah that's touching not. that for the team this year. Even if LSU plays 15, 16 games, I don't think anyone's maybe if they played 15, 16 games. But yeah, I think the top. Even if I like, I think Emery hits a thousand. I think it'll wind up with like maybe 170 or so. Like I think that's probably the max as far as rushing attempts goes. Overall yard, I mean plays, you know total. Um, I imagine someone will probably hit over 200, but that would probably be kind of the max. So, I, I mean, my general impression is that this is, it, it doesn't, it lacks a Fournette or a Darius Geis, but this might be our deepest unit since 2011. I think it's, it looks a lot like that running back core. So in a way, 
the running back core is quote unquote better just because there's more options. They're almost impervious to injury. That is knocking on wood. Uh, I mean, but they have so many, if somebody goes down, it's not like it's going to derail anything, but they don't have that. Just one guy. We're just like, okay. And I know Emery is going to be that guy. He's just not that guy yet. And I think to go any further, we're, we're deep at just skill positions in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that transitions very nicely <laughs> into the receiving core. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that because the receiving core is ridiculous and you can take it from there. Yeah. I mean, I think, and you know, if we put in the, let's say we put in the tight ends with that too, it should be one of the best kind of whole groups of pass catchers that, that we've seen in a while. And it's funny because, you know, I don't think that guys like uh, Chark or Dupree or Dural or Quinn or these, these type of guys in the past, you know, five years were bad players. They weren't. They were very good football players. But they were. it was, like, sporadic. So you'd have, like, a, a Malachi Dupree year or and then you'd have, you know, uh, something else. But these guys are all talented. And they're talented in different ways. You know, Jamar Chase is, looks like a guy who goes up and gets balls. Though I've heard his route running is fantastic. You know, Dylan's a guy who is he still there? Derek Dylan's still here, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's on the depth chart, but yeah, like so he, he's a guy who you know we saw makes huge plays last year. Um, I'm excited to see um, Thaddeus Moss. In They've been talking, they haven't talked enough Thaddeus Moss a ton. Like, I mean, he's Randy Moss's son. Like, yeah, he's got like, something. <laughs> yeah, he's got to be good. That's yeah. incredible. Like, he's got to be good. He's got to lose um, like a jump. I don't know. <laughs> what about some cool packages with Thaddeus Moss and Stephen Sullivan on the field together? Oh, you know, God. that could be interesting. You know, I'm trying to get some matchups that way. Uh, I don't know. This is just they're they're so talented. They're so so talented. I think what we were waiting on last year is Jamar Chase and Terrence, Terrence Marshall gave us a glimpse of their talent. It, it wasn't there yet. It, you know, there was moments where it was like, these guys have the potential to be great. But they were freshmen and freshman receivers. Uh, it, it's hard to make an impact that early in your career. So they made some they made some catches. I think they uh, – uh, no, Terrence Marshall only had 12, pass, uh, 12 catches. But Chase had 23 catches for – 300 yards. He, you know, he had a, he had a decent year, but they hinted at so much more. And this feels like the coming out party year where you return a guy who caught for 875 yards last year, Justin Jefferson. And honestly, he feels like the forgotten man, but nationally too. Yeah. Nobody's talking about Justin Jefferson and he is really legit. And he might be passed on the depth chart by these guys coming up behind him. And that's not because he's taken a step back, but because that's the kind of expectations we have for Chase and Marshall. He's, I don't think he's the most talented wide receiver on the team. Like as far as just, I mean, and I know that it's kind of like sometimes dumb to talk about talent when so much else goes into it. Like I think Chase is a more talented overall wide receiver than Jefferson is. I think yeah. Marshall is probably yeah. a more maybe more talented. Chase, I think, really. Marshall, we've seen some glimpses. Um, obviously, he was super talented in high school, but he's had some injuries. Like, I, I don't want to say that like LSU needs Chase to pass Jefferson to like have the offense be kind of fully weaponized, but I think it does need to be closer. 
Um, the chase needs to become maybe the number one or at least one B alongside Jefferson because he is so talented. Like Jefferson would be a perfect number two option. Right. Uh, just I agree. A perfect, you know, third down. I need to, I need to go to this guy, you know, sort of in the way that Odell Beckham was the, you know, big play threat. But when Zach Menberger needed a play on third down, he went to Jarvis. He went, exactly. Like you That's need guys. What Jefferson would be perfect for. I'm not that he can't be a number one. I mean, he, Caught 875 yards and had six touchdowns and averaged 16.2 yards per catch. It's a great year. But if he is, you know, more in a 1B or even 1A alongside Chase for a while, I think that's where the offense will be perfect because that's Jefferson's real role and Chase is the big play threat. Right. Um, Jefferson's the guy who moves the chains. And yeah. look, and first downs matter. Uh, but yeah, he, he's not the guy who's going to be making highlight real plays. That's not Justin Jefferson's <laughs> job. He's guys catching it over the middle and just keep moving those plays. So Marshall and Chase, or you know maybe McMath, Trey Palmer, who knows, coming you know coming in as a freshman, have the opportunity to make huge plays. And the way you get those plays is by continually being successful, being efficient, and getting first downs, not going third and out. When it's you know third and five, actually converting. So on this note, you know our friend uh, Cody Warsham over at the Hey Fightin' podcast, had this to say about this year's receiver score. He thinks that Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, and Terrace Marshall are, are each going to get about 500 yards receiving, and that would rival the following three trios since 2000. In 2003, you had Michael Clayton, Devery Henderson, and Skylar Green, each with at least 500 yards receiving. LSU won the national championship. 2006, you had early Doucette, Buster Davis, Dwayne Bowe each with at least 500 yards receiving, won the Sugar Bowl. 2007, early Doucette, Brandon LaFell, Demetrius Bird, each with 500 yards receiving, national championship. What do you guys think? Well, I think, I think we're going to win the national championship. Definitely. Yeah. Well, also, if you, it's not that far from what they did last year. I mean, if you no. look at last year, Jefferson had 875, Sullivan had 363, Chase had 313, and Dylan had 307. So... If Sullivan, Chase, and Dylan, you know, forget Dylan. If uh, if you replace that with uh, um, Marshall, and if those guys can all improve by just uh, two hundred yards, yeah, you're looking at four guys with five hundred yards, you know, five hundred yards receiving. I think because Terrence Marshall's at one ninety two, so he wasn't that far off. I think the 3 one is a good comparable. Michael Clinton yeah. led the team that year with eleven hundred yards and ten touchdowns. I think Jefferson being it, maybe that guy. Yeah, um, was with the most catches and then the most yards. Devery Henderson had 53 catches for 861 yards, um, which was 16, a 16.2 average. That should be where about Chase is, and he yeah. had more touchdowns. And then maybe Sullivan or Terrace Marshall, about at 519 yards, which is where Skylar Green was. And that I think that's the right balance. Yeah, I, I, but I think it's possible that you get four guys. Maybe, it, yeah. It, it, look, if Burrow throws for about 3,500 yards, which I think is on the low end, barring injury of the kind of season he can have, 3,500 yards, I mean, he threw for 3,000 last year. Those 600 yards got to go somewhere. I mean, that's pretty much a, the rising tide lifts all boats right there. Yeah, and like Jake was saying, with the more plays that they're going to run should help. They're just There's going to be more opportunities for them to throw the football, which yeah. is going to be nice. Yeah, so they should be gaining more yards anyway. I mean, if we're looking at what Burrow's going to do, you add 500 yards to last year's rushing total, I mean, last year's receiving totals, you know, distribute it, they're pretty close 
to that three five hundred, and I wouldn't rule out four guys, or at least I think they'll have four guys with four hundred yards. Do we see the two one thousand yard receivers though? I don't think so. That's the one thing because the ball's going to get distributed to it. We might not see a single one thousand yard receiver on this team. Yeah, just because the ball has to get distributed, and you got to keep everybody happy. Uh, I don't think we're going to see like we did last year, where Jefferson, you know, has two times as many yards as anyone else on the team. I, I don't see that happening again. And I don't think they, this team needs uh, – this team doesn't need a 1,000-yard rusher, in my opinion. And they don't need a 1,000-yard receiver, in my opinion. The, the beauty of this team is the options. Yes. That's what's so exciting. I mean, LSU has had years where they've had elite wide receivers. Beckham and Landry were arguably the two best receivers in the country in 2013. But there was no one else. And they've had Leonard Fournette, who was the best running back in the country in 2015. Um, and then Darius Geis was phenomenal in 2016 and 2017. So it's not like he hasn't had great individual skill players. The thing is that mostly they haven't had a lot of options. And that they and also they have not weaponized and fully just taken advantage of the tools at their disposal. The thing with this team is there are so many options. There's four running backs who could be really successful. There's three, four, maybe five wide receivers who could be really successful. That's what's exciting about this team. And what the coaching staff seems to be talking about is that they're going to take advantage of all the options that they have. If they do that, that's what's going to make this team most successful. Yeah, and also if you look at the things that derailed seasons past the last couple years, it's been your best player getting hurt. And even if they're not out for the entire year, does not at full capacity. It's been Darius Geis getting, you know, a high ankle sprain, you know, Leonard Fournette basically being hurt all year, Arden Key missing an entire season. This year's team, I don't want to say they're invulnerable to injury. Joe Burrow getting hurt would, you know, wreak havoc on this team. Same probably with Grant Delpit. But it can withstand injury pretty strongly. You lose any of those running backs, I'm not going to say the team doesn't miss a beat, but they'll be able to cope. Same with the receivers. I mean, pick out whoever you think is the best wide receiver. Take them off this roster for the year or have them play at half capacity. The rest of the receivers can pull that weight. And speaking of options, you know, we haven't even discussed Racy McMath yet, who's apparently having a great preseason and was just on fire in the last scrimmage. Yeah, and that's the other reason I think they'll have three guys at least with 500 yards because it's not just one guy trying to hit that number. You have like five or six guys that can hit that number. Yeah. I mean, and just options in terms of where, you know, what they can do on the field. Like, Stephen Sullivan may, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if, if he is, you know, if he's used quite a bit and if he has, I mean, he had a really solid year last year. He was second on the team in yards, had a really good clip, 16 yards per catch. If he's used, like, in, I think, the right way as a tight end, I could see him catching quite a few touchdowns and maybe leading the team in touchdowns if they use him as a real red zone threat. Um, yeah. Go to him a lot, sort of the way. I'm not to kind of beat down the whole Saints comparison all the time, but sort of the way the Saints used Jimmy Graham when he was there, you know, with just feeding him it a lot in the red zone. We um, are still waiting on Sullivan's first red zone catch in his career. Yeah. Just saying. That, that probably, just saying. That probably needs to go up. <laughs> yeah, just a tad. I'm just going yeah. <laughs> to. And then Chase should be, again, I think he, he's got to be the deep threat to take the top off of the defense. And Jefferson is a very strong over-the-middle chain mover. And then you got, again, options. You know, Derek Dillon made some big plays last year. Marshall, of course, he's kind of a bit of a walker, but he's super talented as well. And Racy McMath, you know, is kind of maybe potentially 
could do a lot of different things. So yeah, that's another thing with the options is that they could just do different things, you know, different areas of the field. And that kind of leads us in to the offensive line when we talk about the red zone. If you're having problems with your offensive line, it tends to show up in the red zone because that's when little mistakes turn into big mistakes. And we're talking about the change in the offense. We're talking about throwing the balls around. You know, we're talking about how everyone's going to be super productive. But if you can't block, you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. So can this team block? If they can stay, I, healthy, if they, if they can stay healthy. I mean, I mean I, I, it might just like this might be confirmation bias. And it might like be because we're so close to the situation. But it feels like LSU has had more injuries on the offensive line. Like the last seven or eight years than almost any other team in the country. Like it feels like yearly LSU's having just the offensive line is in some way like a mash unit. I don't know about the last seven or eight years, but obviously I wrote about it for the last two years. It's yeah, pretty, yeah, maybe like it's, it's, it's been ridiculous. Different. It feels like the last couple of years. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just the last couple of years is like uh, clouding my head, but it, like it's just been ridiculous. And I know it's linemen, like they get hurt, but still. I don't know. You look at Alabama. They started six linemen last year. Six. Yeah, well, and of four course. of them played every game. I, I, I don't, I'm not going to talk about it. It's just, it's ridiculous. And yeah, LSU is already missing Cardell Thomas. For, we don't know for how long. The good news there is he backs up Adrian McGee. He's a senior. If there's one thing you're kind of confident in this team, it's that the interior, McGee, Cushenberry, Damian Lewis, they kind of established themselves by the end of last year as a pretty solid interior. I think the question is actually on the outside finding two tackles. And I'm hoping Sadiq Charles' problem, because he was so promising as a freshman. Last year, he looked like he took a step back. I'm thinking that was him working through injuries and also moving from the right side to the left. So I think he's going to take a step forward in his game. But then we have the big question is, who was the right tackle? Um, Traore started out last year's the job, didn't do a very good job. Uh, Deculus ended up being the starter. I'm not entirely sold on him. So does you know Dari Rosenthal take the job? Does Cameron Wire come in? From what I understand, I feel like it's going to be Deculus. And I, I heard today that they moved uh, Traore. I don't know guard. if this happened. Yeah, I don't know if this happened recently or 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 a while ago. But they moved him to guard. That that so makes I, I, sense. Yeah, I kind of feel like it's got to be Deculus at this point, and he's got experience and stuff. The thing I have with the O-line is that I that what I'm hoping for is, okay, there's obviously been injuries, but they haven't had – well, I think what we're all hoping for is that that O-line hasn't had a player at quarterback behind them who is as good as Burrow in a while. And I think that helps. And then when you add in you know, potentially the new scheme of what that can do, can we get the ball out to our first read comfortably? That wasn't happening, especially with Harris and, and definitely even with Danny Etling. It's like, you know, they're sitting around there in the pocket because they don't know how to get to their first read. Now you have an, an OC who um, you'd imagine, you know, he's never like game planned and called plays before, but you'd imagine the play designs uh, by themselves could help Burrow um, not have to go through reads. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we want is yeah. the quarterback to have to, th- to just throw to his first read all the time. Um, and then you, you know, the, and then Burrow, obviously the guy who can um, make these decisions and process the information uh, quickly, that'll help the O-line probably more than anything. Yeah, because you probably get hurt more by trying to hold your block for so long. 
Yeah, and then and then like the O line, the backup O line, the depth plays a factor into it when all of a sudden you you know you got a second string guard, a second string tackle, who um, with with the quarterback sitting back there uh, like a sitting duck. All of a sudden you gotta you got you gotta be good. You know what I mean? You gotta have starters out there. So hopefully that uh, mitigates some if there are injuries or if there are people who struggle like maybe Deculus. Um, hopefully that mitigates some of it. Yeah, and also I think just playing a lot helps. If you look at line starts matter. You know, teams yeah. e- even when they even when they started badly, <laughs> they still guys who start a bunch tend to improve as they play. It's the one position in college football where experience truly matters. I mean, obviously you have your exceptions. Like some guys are just great as a freshman, but those are your legitimate freaks. Yeah, I think that's you know something that not so like belabor sort of issues gone past but that when lsu's offenses have struggled i feel like the plays just took forever to develop like just there's no like quick play in lsu's offense it was always you know, like the go-to play generally was a run play which is not a problem apparent but it you know those are plays that take a while to develop and it felt like just lsu's offense there was no quick play just a quick hitter or anything like that and hopefully yeah that's something that this offense will bring it's just a lot of quick plays, get the ball out in space as quickly as possible to your talent, and then let them, you know, take over. And I think that, that'll help the offense want, obviously. And then just the offense as a whole. I mean, when you, yeah, when you're having plays that just take forever to develop, you're asking. I mean, like, I think defensive linemen are, like, beside quarterback, I think the second most position on the field, and they're just difficult to block. And they're just big, they're just freaks, yeah. really. Like today's yeah. modern defensive linemen. Like I don't really think you can't block them anymore. You just do. And so, like that's the thing. It's I I think asking offensive linemen, even the best ones, to block today's freaks of defensive linemen is really possible. And so, yeah, I think having quick plays that you know um, really does help the offensive line for a multitude of reasons. Yeah, like you don't so much need the performance to improve; you just need the play design to improve, which will show up in performance. Yeah, and I think that you yeah. know we went from Matt Canada, his passing game was very basic, and it, and it, you know it kind of had to be basic because you got to teach so much of that other stuff that he's doing in his offense. Right. And I had no problem. Like I don't, I'm not gonna make this a big yeah. thing. Like Matt Canada, I really had no problem with his offense, but it was basic in the passing game. Last year was a little bit more complex, and I haven't gone through all the tape, but. They didn't run a lot. Like you were talking about quick game. They really didn't run a lot. Like they ran double slants or like triple slants. Yeah. That was their bread and butter. You know, get out all the receivers coming in. And it would be nice if, you know, Brady came in and, and gave us a few more, you know, quick game options for Burrow to be able to get the, get the ball out. And defenses uh, won't know what's coming, I guess. Well, speaking of freakish defensive linemen, and how guys can't be unblocked. As many questions are on the offensive line, the defensive line looks pretty darn stacked. Nice segue. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think it's wild that that we don't really talk about Rashad Lawrence or Braden Fajoko that much. It, God, it's ridiculous. There's, I mean, there's no reason not to talk about, you know, Caleb on Chase on and uh, some of the other guys, but and the Shelvin and, and Apu, but... I mean, these guys are, are upperclassmen, and they're really, really, really good players. Let's put it like this. LSU's line is so loaded that Neil Farrell 
Siaka Aika and Glenn Logan could probably start for a hundred, 110 division one teams. I mean, our backup three is an impressive starting unit and those are the backups. Yeah. That's starting lineup. lineup. You throw Tyler Shelvin in there. Uh, Lawrence is going to contend for all American Fahoko might contend. He probably won't just because you can only have one, (laughs) but yeah, LSU's line is ridiculously good. Yeah, and I think that's why you hear all these stories about Aranda kind of changing the defense up and, and kind of changing at least the philosophy in how in how the D-linemen attack their gaps and really attack the gap rather than a, a, a human being. And like, okay, yes, you know, what they're saying is, okay, well, he looked and he said, well, I have all this tape on me. I have to change things up because everyone knows what he's doing. But he also has his best D-line he's ever had. And, he, yes. he, and when, when LSU's had their best D-lines of the past, I just saw that. I think Billy posted recently that on Twitter the clip of uh, Glenn Dorsey throwing Chaz Ramsey into the running back against the Auburn. Yeah, yeah and <laughs> so, like those teams were, were – they were penetrating. They let their D-linemen free to, 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 to run. And, yeah, okay, sometimes you might get gashed because you're up the field a little too hard. But with the talent they have, you got to let them run free. Yeah, LSU has not had a D-line like this since, you know, those 2011-2012 teams. I'm really excited about this group. Or am I overhyping it, Jake? I don't, I don't know if you're overhyping it. I'm excited for it. I just – I think it needs – if Chason is what we think he can be, then I, I'm I'm in, sort of. Like, I just think it's like, – I think they need a freak. Like, they need one guy who is just – of true force. Like Rashard Lawrence is really good. I think he's a, I, I would even say he's great. He hasn't become, you know, a, I mean, last year was his best year. So, you know, if, if he, if he can make another leap, then it's possible he becomes that guy. But I, I think they need one guy to truly just become a forced kind of a sort of like, just, you know, those, like, I don't know if there is a, a Michael Brockers or a Glenn Dorsey kind of guy, um, or, a, you know, Drake Nevis on this team. Not that necessarily has to be, but, like, I think just in the front, there's got to be one guy who's got to really kind of break out, you know, to, me to, like, fully, to get, like, super excited. Um, let it be Fahoko. Let it be Fahoko. Let us all do the haka. I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Let us all do the haka. That, that'd be the ideal scenario. But, like, yeah, it's like, I mean, like, Tyler Shelvin had a really good year, um, and he's going to be a junior. Um, and so, you know, when you have a junior who's just consistently proved, that's super exciting. Fahoko was really good last year but he just struggled so much with injuries. Lawrence had a really good year. Glenn Logan had a really solid year. As far as, you know, the consistency goes and, you know, the depth, I think that's great. But I do kind of want to see, and maybe maybe it'll happen. Like maybe Rashard Lawrence could break out. Maybe Apple Eco, I don't know, like a, just a big threat as a freshman. But I'm hoping that there's one guy who can really become, you know, well, an all-American type player. And also part of it is what you ask – this team is going to ask its defensive line to do. When you're in a 3-4, yeah. it's harder for the defensive line Absolutely. to make highlight real plays because their whole job is to clog space. Yeah. Uh, now, clearly they're also you know supposed to attack and get tackles behind the line of scrimmage, and that's kind of something that didn't happen last year. I mean, they, they clogged those gaps, but they need to add that second bit. There was yeah, the, that's, that's my thing. There was the holding, you know, they were really good at like occupying the line. They did really well to free up the linebackers, but you want them to get in on the fun and start, you know, hurting some quarterbacks. 
Well, you know, you talked about, like, you know, Aranda talked about not playing with a true nose. That that has to help because, what, you know, what was happening a lot was, you know, especially when, when LSU would go into their tight front, you're putting three guys almost with within the tackles. You have, th- you know, within the in, both inside shoulders of tackles, you have three defensive linemen. So it's pretty easy when it's a pass. Now, if it's a run, then you're in business. But if they throw the ball on, like, first that, first and ten, then it's hard to get a nice pass rush because the, the five offensive linemen can just kind of pinch down on your three. And, um, you know, then you, you're going to send one guy off the edge, like, you know, Arden Key or, or, or Caleb on uh, Chase on. But the, the other four can really handle the three. They're really, really good, good angles. So hopefully we get better angles. We kind of get the D-line spaced out a bit more and let them work one-on-one. So my thing that I think could be very interesting so I'm, I'm, I'm on PFF the other day, and PFF has Michael Divinity as a preseason All-ACC edge rusher. And he is not going to play edge yeah. rusher for yeah. <laughs> LSU. And obviously I understand why they would put that in there, because that's what he did last year, and he was really, really good at it. Yeah, Divinity um, was a stopgap. You know, because, you know, Chason got hurt, and they're like, well, yeah. okay, we're just going to let Divinity do it. And it turned out Divinity was great at it. Yeah, so I think that'll be interesting to see how how he can like manipulate uh, his playbook, uh, how Aranda can manipulate manipulate his playbook, uh, so that he still gives opportunities for Divinity to rush the passer, for sure on third down. But could he do something and and maybe put you know like like him and two other linebackers on the field on early downs and and play around with it. That could be something interesting because they love him at inside linebacker, from what I've heard. But you don't want to really want to lose a guy that that much at at edge rusher, especially if we're looking for a guy kind of opposite uh, Kalevon. Well, you know, as it seems that we've transitioned into the linebackers, and I, I do know that there's bleed between defensive line and linebackers. Hey, before so. we do that transition, any concerns over Bill Johnson taking over from Dennis Johnson as the D line coach? No, I actually think he might be a better coach. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I just the one thing that I want to get in is just mention this. Uh, Jarrell Cherry spent the mm-hmm. whole summer carrying around bricks in his backpack. I couldn't let it go without saying this. That dude just spent a whole summer carrying around bricks in a backpack. <laughs> and don't do that, kids. By the way, that's a very bad idea. <laughs> Yeah, oh, only during preseason but... where you're trying to get in shape. So now my yeah. new favorite player is Gerald Cherry for Cameron Briggs in his back. Yeah, yeah, no. If you if if you were an LSU football player, you can do that. The rest of you don't do that <laughs> unless you really like your chiropractor. No, but if you look at the linebackers from last year, Divinity he was really good coming off the rush, but he only had five sacks. He tied with uh, Grant Delpit for the team lead, and five sacks is for a team leader is pitifully low. Now, that's not that Divinity didn't have a great year. He was kind of a fill-in, and also he was doing everything else as well. It wasn't like he was just rushing the quarter. He wasn't Lawrence Taylor just rushing the quarterback and nothing else. But what's interesting is, so you get Chase on back. Clearly, I think he's the better pass rusher. He's the difference maker. I mean, he's the guy that we've been waiting for, which allows you to put a talented player like Divinity to play in the middle. And what's interesting then is, 
with the other inside linebacker, if you would have told me last, you know, coming into this year, who's the best linebacker in LSU, I almost would have clearly said Jacob Phillips, who filled in for Devin White and didn't miss a beat. And also had, I think, over 100 tackles last year. Yeah. I mean, Jacob well, Phillips was a, was a stud. He's and, not going to the field this year. And he might not even start. <laughs> yeah. like, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? And I, I know they've been talking. So, obviously, they, with the Vinny at inside linebacker and, you know, the other guy, Patrick Queen, is, is the guy who might start in front of uh, Phillips. But the other, like, they're talking up. What's his name? Demontre Clark? Yeah. Demont Clark, yeah. Demont Clark? Yeah. They love this kid. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. I don't know where Phillips – I think I, if Phil, if we see Phillips on the field against Georgia Southern starting the game, and maybe even more importantly, if we see him starting the game against Texas, that mean, then, then that means they really, really trust that kid. Uh, yeah, like Jacob Phillips. Uh, I just can't believe – if Jacob Phillips can't hold on to a starting lineup, a starting job – LSU is the best linebacking core in the country. It's yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, if if he is not the starter because of merit, not because of injury, I shudder to think how good the guys are that dethroned him. Because Phillips didn't just look like he belonged last year. When Devin White went down, Phillips filled in without missing a beat. And Devin White is the best linebacker LSU has had since Michael Brooks. Uh, that... It was an unbelievable performance, not just that one game, but all season long. And, yeah, they're talking up both Clark, Queen. They also uh, – they're trying to talk up the kids, uh, Marcel Brooks. They're talking mm -hmm. him up a little bit too. That's – there are just too many options. Yeah, I think Chase Hunt is the, the X factor to this defense. If he, can, if he can get up to nine, ten sacks, rush the passer – um, and, you know, lots of tackles for loss as well. I think the sky is the limit because if that if he can do that, there's nothing this defense doesn't do at an elite level. Yeah, I think you're right there. He he has to get about nine. He has to be in near double digit sacks. They need that's the one thing the LSU defense was missing last year. Just a pure edge rusher. Well, the kid, the the quarterback from Georgia Southern takes a sack once every five times he drops back. So all we need to do is have him drop back like about, I don't know, 10 times, and, and, and maybe he'll get that sack total uh, pretty quickly into the season. Oh, yeah, well, I, I like where your head's at. Let's, <laughs> let's pat our numbers against Jordan Southern. Yeah. Yeah, Phillips, um, he'll see the field. Like, it's just, I, I mean, yeah, he's I too know, maybe he doesn't too start, good. but a dude with 87 tackles last yeah. year. Is not like not gonna play. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe LSU, yeah, like really does just suddenly have the greatest linebacking corner of all time. I don't know, but he's gonna play. And Patrick yeah. Queen have really good numbers. Divinity was great. I mean, Divinity, Phillips, Queen, Chase on. That's well, a pretty darn. And what's yeah, amazing for, is for so long, linebacker, I don't wanna say it was a wasteland in LSU's defense, but it was definitely the weakest of the three units. Yeah, I mean, even the 2011, 2007 teams, the linebackers, I mean, they were very good, but they weren't the guys he went ranting on about. And now all of a sudden, there's just an absurd amount of depth and star talent. I mean, yeah, yeah. Like before, before White, LSU's sole great linebacker in forever was Kevin Minner. Uh, he, was, he was good. He was good. Oh, yeah. He was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you think he might have had more tackles than 
Devin White in a single season. But yeah, because he was the only guy on the team who could make a tackle. No. <laughs> but, yeah. Who was the guy? Who was the guy? Um, I don't know if it was the Minter years, and I think he wore. He ended up playing for the Cowboys for a bit on special teams, and we used to rag on this guy. Lamine Barrow. No, no, it was. Um, he was a guy. Oh my goodness, Ryan Baker. I'll, 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 I'll get it for you guys. Um, because then all of a sudden you had like Debo Jones, who was kind of like a guy that had a really good final year at LSU. Yeah, and that was and one he's of the gonna, best. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he's one of the best <laughs> linebackers in, in pro football. We, we kind of – so it hasn't all been we've, – we've lacked linebackers. We just haven't used them quite as well. Uh, and then, you know, 2014 had both Quan and Kendall Beckwith. So that was a pretty good line. But, you know, your third linebacker on that unit was DJ Welter. So there was always – that kind of thing. Welter. Yeah. Well, I went there. Dude kind of Benny McCray. Oh, yeah. McCray was, yeah. I he was feel like we, He was okay, but I think every time there was, it felt like every time there was a big play against LSU in those years, like 2009, 2008, I guess. Yeah. That it was, that was Danny McCray. You're like, uh, you don't like to see that. And, and the crazy thing is, all these guys end up playing. In the, in the NFL. Well, yes, yeah, the thing a, with the wide receivers. Like, so yeah. many of the receivers get, like, just 20 catches and then end up in the NFL for five, six years. Well, there was – is it a Kendall Wright, something yeah, Kendall Wright, James Wright? Uh, yeah, James Wright didn't have a reception. James Wright. And then got drafted. Yeah. That's, One thing with, like, LSU, like, I guess the last couple years, I mean, at linebacker, like, I feel like there's been one guy that, like, has breaking out that, like, we haven't seen. Like, for, like, Debo Jones, we didn't hear of. And then he ended up leading the team in tackles. Duke Riley was similar. Yeah. We didn't really hear about him. And then he ended up leading the team in tackles. I mean, the last couple of years with Devin White, like, we've, you know, the best player has been someone we've seen kind of coming. But still, like, there's been, you know, some kind of presence. For, like, John Battle in 2017 had a really solid year. It's going to be hard to break in, but I don't know. So are we saying, like, Trevez Moore or Andre Anthony is going to be one of our best linebackers? I mean, I mean, hey, maybe it is Damani Clark. I don't know. Like, yeah. yeah, I think the way they're I talking, it seems like it would be that guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, I mean, there has tended to be the last couple of years someone we haven't seen that's had, like, a really great year, at either linebacker or somewhere in the defense. Yeah. But I mean, I, of- technically I haven't seen um, Derek Stingley yet. So, yes. And let's get into that. Let's get into that right now. The secondary. Oh, my God. Does the secondary look awesome? Stingley, Fulton, Stevens, Delpit. Um, I'm done. <laughs> oh, my God. Christian Fulton is going to be a consensus, like, preseason All-American. Yeah. First team. Which I didn't actually like see coming. Like I, actually, I thought it'd probably be like second team. So LSU has arguably the best defensive player in college. I think the best, but yeah, we can only say arguably. Exactly. And- but yeah, we'll be nice and say arguably, um, even though I, I dare anyone to find me a defensive player who had seventy four tackles, nine and a half tackles, lost five sacks and five interceptions. <laughs> Incredible! Incredible! <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just not fair it's ridiculous christian fulton who is a first team all-american a corner and then the guy who is the best cornerback recruit of all time <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah jacoby stevens who's also just really good at football yeah jacoby stevens a guy who was so good as a freshman they turn him in the wide receiver just to get him on the field 
Yeah, like, that's six and a half tackles for losses and safeties. Let's not forget that Jacoby Stevens was a five-star recruit who was supposed to be better than all of these guys. And, you know, it's not like he hasn't lived up to the billing. It's mainly that they've just played him at every position because they've been so desperate to get him on the field. I mean, Kerry Vincent's a really good player, too. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love Kerry Vincent. Dude, I like Todd Harris. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Todd Harris, what? Was the first guy to pick off Tua, like, all year? I think so. God. Yeah. It, uh, it's it, DBU. What else can you say? Yeah, and the thing with, with Stevens is, like, because there's just there was no space to get him on the field as much as we would have liked because where? Yeah. And now with Battlegun, who is probably one of my favorite Tigers of all time, to tell you the truth, there's there's now there's going to be kind of space for him. And this is where I talk about, like, okay, well, what if you bump down in certain situations, bump down Divinity to Edge Rusher, which would allow you to have that kind of, you know, they call it like their quarter linebacker in Delpit. And then you could have Delpit, Vincent, and Stevens on the field at the same time with the two corners. And that's nasty. <laughs> I mean, that's not yeah. fair. Honestly, I mean, look, Stevens has played linebacker. <laughs> so if anyone's moving to the, you know, that quarter linebacker, it's Stevens, which it's just, that's crazy. He might be our breakout linebacker. You have yeah. no idea. The, the yeah. guy, he has unlimited talent. And it's a shame that he's, you know, been outshone by Grant Delpit, who is really just a phenomenal football player. And I, I don't even know what to say about him. He's great. I mean, like, there's nothing else to say. But the only problem with Delpit being so great is it makes people forget how great the other safety is. Jacoby Stevens, on any other team in America, he would be the guy that they're talking about how great he is. So we're going to show him some love on the sneaky good. Jacoby Stevens, the unsung tiger. Not that unsung. How do you you throw against them? Like... Like, okay, we're gonna go. We're not gonna go after the first team All American, so we'll go <laughs> after the guy who is probably gonna be a first team All American <laughs> at some point in the next two years. We won't go after him. So, and the secondary has, or the sorry, the safeties are both elite. No, I mean, and Carrie Benson's really good too. If, like, we're not gonna can't really go after the Nickelback. So, yeah, I mean, that is the strategy: is throw to your third wide receiver and hope. That's the yeah. thing. It's like Kerry Vincent gets a mismatch because he's probably better. Our third corner is probably better than your third receiver. Yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's the beauty of it. I mean, about the only team that's a mismatch for is Bama. They, they yeah. go three deep. Like, that's Clemson. the well, Yeah. If we're playing Clemson, I will take yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. yeah, if we're playing Clemson, things have gone well. <laughs> Deal with that. Cross that bridge when you get there. And, and so that's kind of the unit that you're hanging your hat on. It's funny because, like, I think the defensive line is amazing, but that's secondary. The only knock you could possibly say in the secondary is it didn't have a whole lot of depth last year. There's not a. T- it's gotten a little bit better, but you still have depth issues. I mean, there's a lot of freshmen dotting that depth chart. That said, by the end of the year, is that still a problem? I mean, Radar Jones, Maurice Hampton, Jay Ward, Cordell Flott, they're probably all – I mean, that, that definitely refills the coffers because I think one of the 
reasons we lost A&M is because, you know, we just ran out of cornerback depth. Hmm. So it's incredible to think that it could be as good as the 2011 secondary, but it really could. Oh, God, that, that seems almost blasphemous. I mean, it, it, it's, I mean, I don't know if anyone, even, I don't even know if Grant Delpit could ever be Tyra Matthew, but he might. Yeah, you, you lack a player like that because uh, Matthew was such. I mean, it's a, he's force of nature. I mean, it's, yeah, it's he, he's such a he's such a unique player. You can't have a guy who plays the honey badger position. He just wreaked chaos, and yeah, God, he was so good. But it, I, it's hard to say there's a guy like that on this on this defense just because. I mean, Delpit is at least kind of the yeah, like terrible sort of. Yeah, the thing yeah. about Matthew was that he just, you know... Oh, I mean, yeah. Terrain no, Matthew made plays happen. Yeah, like, out no of nothing. I mean, there's no one-to-one, and there never will be, but... And then, I mean, Mo Claiborne was the Thorpe Award winner, which Christian yeah. Fulton could be in that yeah. conversation. You know, um, Jacoby Stevens, I don't he's, I don't think he's as good as Eric Reed or Brandon Taylor were, but he is still very, very good. Um, he's Brandon Taylor good. I think, you know... Yeah. That hurts me because, yeah. you know, my feelings on Brandon Taylor. But he, he's Brandon Taylor good. Yeah. And yeah. then – But that, that's a compliment. Stingley that's there. an incredible compliment. <laughs> yeah, Brandon Taylor was my favorite player on that defense. Yeah. <laughs> As I referred to him, he was the responsible adult that made it all happen. Yeah. Everybody else could freelance because you knew Taylor was going to be back there to save your bacon. I think yeah. one of the bigger differences between Delphit and Matthew is I don't see a lot of – Delpit in man coverage, like he's really yeah. a, a, a rover type guy, and then and then yes, he can do a lot of the same stuff that Matthew did off the edge, you know, on blitzes, finding the ball. But Matthew was definitely better in man coverage. Uh, Delpit's probably more like uh, Jamal Adams in that sense. Yeah, yeah. But that is the engine that's going to make this team go. This is a great defense. The question is whether it's a historically great defense. And, yeah, it goes back to it. If this is, if this is the 2011 secondary, uh, this team is good enough to play for the national title. Yeah. But you need your best players to be your best players. And the secondary, that's LSU's best players. And Derek Stingley is returning punts. Yeah. Yeah, it goes into you know special teams real quick. Stingley returning punts, that was a huge problem last year. We, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, once like I go back to the A and M game. Everyone talks about you know the calls, and I've now gone on about how we lacked cornerback depth. But it was a fumble on a punt return that set that whole thing up. If LSU just fields punts properly, that game never happens. LSU wins comfortably. Seriously, it feels like we had the golden horseshoe up our rear end for years great punt returners and then it just got pulled out and we've just paid for it ever since like yeah. I mean, it's it's been like really just like a couple of years now i mean i don't know like trey white was really good i suppose yeah trey white was yeah it makes it feel that he's not good but before that we had dj chark who was kind of single-handedly won the auburn game <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean like i don't know i, can't, I don't know maybe we're just spoiled that was yeah, 2017 maybe, maybe last, just maybe last year was just yeah, Trey White was kind of – I mean, he was good. And also, Trey White scored two touchdowns in his career on punt returns. Yeah, so I don't know. I guess it was just he had a few gulp moments where it was just like – Yeah, doing? he never quite struck you as – you didn't quite have the same cockiness back there you did when, like, Odell Beckham was back there. Yeah. 
I don't know. I mean, the Jonathan Giles thing that. Yeah, it, it didn't work out well. I'm, that, I'm that, trying. I'm trying not to pick on the guy, but. Yeah, no. I mean that. It, it that, was bad. That was, that was a disaster. Um, he, yeah. he transferred. Yeah, I just, I'm reading that right now. I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah, he transferred out. So. Yeah. But. But yeah, I mean, just whoever it was back there. I think they tried like John Trey Kirkland at one point, and he, yeah, he had a couple returns. Um, Justin Jefferson uh, had two returns for a yard. Yeah, so he just threw him back there just to catch the ball. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, his whole job was just like, <laughs> look, just Justin, you're not gonna fumble it, so don't fumble. And yeah, thirteen returns for ninety-two yards. Oh Jesus! I mean, that, that's bad, and a critical fumble. Yeah, that's there's not a whole lot. To, recommend that right there so but when we're on the subject of specialist lsu brings in a brand new kicker so hopefully we will not miss you know um guy who finished in the finals for the lou grozo award and lost it to a kicker who kicks indoors yeah that that hurts (laughs) come on man dude Um, kicks in a dome i mean and also we lose a great nickname in kick tracy Uh, that does that that hurts me but I don't think we're going to miss a whole – I don't want to say we're, we're not going to miss a ton kicking, but by all reports, our, our new kickers are not going to miss a beat. So Well, and hopefully we just aren't really kicking it that often this year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that was the other thing. Yeah, Tracy had to attempt 33 <laughs> field goals, which is not what you want. Um, yeah. Agree on that front. So Yeah, just, just don't be 2017 where LSU missed 11 and um, we'll be fine. Like. Yeah, ooh, that was bad. Um, That's horrifying. Yeah, like Colby Delahousse missed four kicks in 2016. That's fine. Like just, yeah. Yeah, 2015 Trent Domingue, 13 to 17. Yeah, I'll, I'll be perfectly happy with 13 out of 17. Yeah, just not the 2017. Just 11 field goals. Good God. God yeah. Um, yeah. You before want... that, LSU was mostly at like 70. That's fine. Just. Yeah, we want less attempts. That's pretty yeah. much the, what we're talking about here. So. Yeah, but by and large, there's, it, what unit to you know put a bow on the whole thing? What unit do you think is most critical to LSU success this season? Feels like cheating to say the line. Like it's not cheating. I mean, I don't know. I mean, because it, it just feels, I guess, so obvious in some ways. Right. And injuries and I'll, I'll say the wide receivers. Okay. I think that's got to be. I think they've got to be as good as we're hoping. If they are. I mean, Burrow goes into that too, but I feel reasonably confident about him. But the wide receivers, they've got to live up to kind of that talent level and what we were I – mean, we've, we've praised them a lot, and they've got to be as good as, I guess, the praise we've given them. And I think they're kind of the key to the whole <laughs> operation with the offense, beside the O-line, of course, which is you – know, again, if you can't block, you can't win. I'll say okay, – I agree with, with – Everything you just said, Jake. Um, so I'll just say kind of off the beaten path, I'll say maybe Coach O is the key. Okay. And, you know, you read stories about him from his time in Mississippi, and he was a meddling coach who, who kind of didn't let his offense do what they wanted to do. And it seems like that's changing from all you hear about is changing. So it would be nice for him to just kind of really let it go. And that means... Fourth downs, we're going to go for it. First and ten, we're going to throw the ball. Um, and just uh, do all the stuff that we kind of 
probably need to do to gain some sort of edge against the teams that are similar to us. Because, you know, Florida recruits pretty good. Auburn yeah. recruits pretty damn good. You know, uh, Jimbo is recruiting pretty damn good. Uh, obviously, there's Alabama. That's a whole different story. But so we, we, need, we need that. We need those little things to go our way. And it would, you know, you know, the fourth down calls and all that stuff would be nice. Yeah. Basically, coach uh, the way you did in the Georgia game and not the – Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like the Florida I, game, it was coach end of it kind of scared, really. And then the, the Georgia game was, let's just go. Yeah, let it all hang out. Let's, yeah. And speaking of let it all hang on, I think it's the quarterback. Uh, I think Joe Burrow needs to be a star. You know, he doesn't have to win the Heisman or anything. I don't need him to win the Davy O'Brien Award. But he needs to be – he needs to live up to the hype. And I know we're all pretty confident about it. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about Brady bringing his new offense. But we need a gunslinger back there. The, the modern game of college football is about throwing the ball. And LSU has fallen behind on that front. We all know that. Joe Burrow needs to bring us to the promised land. But on top of that, since we just finished that unit, the secondary, your best players – have to be your best players. And that's where LSU's best players are. So we need star-making turns out of everyone in the secondary. So now, questions. Well, since we uh, decided to do all the position groups, this question from Michael Lauret seems appropriate. How would you describe the offense, defense, and special teams in song form? That is, what song would describe each one? Well, let's see. Um, well, the defense is something, you know, like uh, I want to stab you with something rusty by Crimshot. <laughs> something, you know, something loud, angry, maybe some uh, uh, Scandinavian death metal. I'm not really up on my Scandinavian death metal, but something along those lines <laughs> that is basically about killing everything. <laughs> well, offense, I think we're, you know, you know, we're trying to, you know, move forward. We're trying to look ahead. You know, we need something something new and fresh. Uh, God, I don't know what to go with. I want to say like, what's a, what's the new, you know, something by Billie Eilish, I guess, you know, she's the new sound right now, even though she's kind of lackadaisical. She's, you know, sounds like she's half dead. So half dead, maybe not use that. Yeah, Maybe not half dead. But so, but you want something that's like, God, I'm trying to, right off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of like a song where you just say it's, you need a song that's about turning the corn, you know, about a new beginning. And I don't want to say New Morning by Bob Dylan because it just popped in my head. Something more up-tempo. I got nothing right now. That's a terrible answer. Uh, it's tempo. better than my answer of staying silent, so. Here we go. Tempo by Lizzo. Yeah, Tempo. There you go. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Hey, you know what? Give me something, just uh, something that can play really, really fast. Give me something by, like, The Prodigy. You know, give me, like, Firestarter. Something like that for the audience. Okay, what if? The offense is on bending knee by boys to men, meaning we're taking a lot of knees and we're yeah. winning football. Yeah. 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 See, see we are. You. Okay. All right. And special teams. Oh uh, well. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly it's got to be kick by NXS. There's no other answer. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, we're we're kind of hoping they fade to the background. You know, we don't want them to kick 30 field goals again. Like we're saying, we want them to all have like, you know, like 15 field goals. So, you know, just some elevator music. Just in I was the background. Say elevator that's, music. That's you can ignore. Go. Yeah. All right. 
Vinnie Bartles wants to know, actual football question. Is there a team okay. with more pressure to win this season than Michigan? Follow-up, mm-hmm. will it make it more or less funny when they lose to the Buckeyes on like a sideline infraction or something else ridiculous? <sighs> Poor Michigan. I mean, Don't they're arrogant. Say that. I mean, they are arrogant and they deserve everything that happens to them, but it's hard to enjoy when it's Ohio State, the team doing it to you. Grant, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll grant you that. I'll go Georgia. Yeah, I think that's I pretty think good. I think Georgia's at a point where, because it, it feels, I mean, on the one hand, like I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm a proponent of the national championship is not the be all end all. And that, you know, you can't just be like, well, you don't win the national championships. You suck. But with that being said, when you lose the national championship the way they did in 2018, after leading, you know, 13 nothing at halftime, and after giving up a second and 20-whatever touchdown to Alabama in overtime, and then you lead in the SEC championship game the way they did last year, up 21-7, to and then, I mean, 28-14 with, like, 13 minutes left in the third quarter or whatever. And then you lay an egg the way they did against Texas. It feels like if, if they don't, you know, if they get to the SEC championship game again and fall short, and if they're playing in another kind of New Year's Six game and kind of lay another one of those eggs, or maybe if they don't make the SEC championship, which I don't think is going to happen, but let's say it did. I think there's going to be a feeling of, are they starting to kind of miss their beat of it? Is it is, are they kind of getting to sort of waste some of these opportunities, you know, that they're getting to, you know, as one of the best teams in the country. I, I think there's, I think the pressure is going to start, you know, sort of ratcheting up on them quite a bit on Kirby Smart if they're just having these gacky, just bad losses and kind of these crucial moments for another year. Seth? Well, I think, I think you guys hit it with, on like the national level for sure, Michigan and um, Georgia. I was thinking maybe Florida State. Because yeah, um, they they were horrible last year, and I don't think it was Taggart's fault because the cupboard was was very bare there. Um, but at the same time, like it's Florida State, you go back to back disappointing seasons, you're not going to be around for a long time, you know. Yeah, I think another team that might be flying under the radar that really needs to have a good year is Oregon. Yeah, um, I heard you, know, you yeah. got a senior quarterback who's supposed to go number one in the draft. They went nine and four last year at a pretty terrible conference. The pressure's on there. They got to do something. I mean, they don't have to win a national title, but they at least have to win the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah but the Pac-12 is yeah. pretty pretty good. It's, well, it's even. I don't know how good even. it is on national levels, but it's even. It's yeah. even, but better. I, mean, I, got another, I got another one that I don't. I don't know because on the one hand, I feel like the expectations are too high, so it's like come to their senses a bit. But Nebraska, yeah, mm. like, this team is not like the a top. I don't get why they're the favorite. Like, they've got like, like they've got like top ten odds. Yeah, like I think to win the national championship. And it's like, what the heck is going on? If they win I mean, like, seven the games, that'd be a nice year. Yeah, like, in the AP poll, they're ranked twenty fourth, which is at least a bit more reasonable. But it's like, uh, they were four and eight last year. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't understand that at all. Yeah, I think just returning the bowl it's eligibility like, and, and their wins there, and also like, wins were Bethune Cookman, Illinois, and Minnesota, and then they beat Michigan State. Who was seven and six? Also, wasn't good luck. Yeah, and also it's like it's a their their conference, you know, and it's not exactly like you know they're going to be playing like chumps. Iowa looks really good. Um, Wisconsin is always Wisconsin. I know, you know, they're they're down a little bit, 
But um, also, like, Purdue has one of the most exciting players in the country. Northwestern won nine games last year. Minnesota has one of the top coaches in the country. I, the only layup— Ohio State, yeah. The, the only layup win in conference play they have is Illinois. I, I Man, that's—yeah, yeah, I, don't, I don't get that. I mean, like, I mean, some of it's a bit, like, they'll they'll probably start, like, they'll, if they'll lose to Ohio State, let's say they beat Northwestern, I mean, like, maybe they could get the seven wins if you figure South Alabama, Colorado, Northern Illinois, maybe if they beat Northwestern, uh, Indiana at Maryland, probably get that one. Okay, so they get Indiana and Maryland, that'll help. Yeah, but, like, but I mean, still, it's like, I don't, they'll probably still finish with, like, three losses in conference. Yeah, it's, which means they probably won't win their division, and they're not going to play for the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, I don't get I don't that. Um, which I get. I, I think at the end of the year, I think at the end of the year, people realize, okay, we were probably freaking out a bit, and this is like them going seven and five is a perfectly good year. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. But still just but like, when you yeah. put expectations that high, seven and five, they should walk away being from that. Hey, we we had a pretty good year. After yeah, we improved by three wins. We yeah. doubled our wins. <laughs> and if they come out 7-5, they're going to be disappointed. That's a terrible way to manage yeah, and it, It's just, it's so nuts. It's like you go 4-8. and eight. Like, there should be no scenario where you come away, improve from a 4-8 and eight season. But they seem to be setting themselves up for this. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good answer. Can I say one more? USC? Yeah. Who's that? The USC. USC. Oh, yeah. Because the crazy thing about them is that they actually recruit well, and they're staring. And they, they don't do schedule. anything. With do they recruit? I mean, do they recruit well enough? I guess it's a it's a big digression, I suppose. But it feels like they're not. I don't know. Recruiting as well as USC should, maybe. You know, but they're still winning the Pac-12. Well, I mean, yeah, like, like, USC should still win the Pac-12. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, they're not recruiting right, well enough to compete with Bama right now, but they're recruiting well enough that they should be winning the Pac-12. And instead, yeah. people are openly wondering if they're going to start 0-3. Just one more to throw it out there. Michigan State, like, I think, you know, they're starting to teeter a bit. Like, it feels like they've kind of they've kind of hit the end of that run. You know, I mean, they won 11 or more games, five at six years, start the decade, which was nuts. And now they're 20 and 18 the last three years. feels like maybe one more bad year. I'm not going to say. I, I don't think they're going to run Mark D'Antonio out of town or anything, but he is 63, and it feels like. Yeah, it could be the maybe end another of it. Bad, bad, yeah, another bad year, and maybe they start talking about retirement. You know, yeah, and they kind of start over. Oh, Sparty, no. <laughs> uh, USC, uh, Bud Elliott came out with his uh, 2019 blue chip ratio, and USC is seventh nationally. No. <laughs> okay, well, then, yeah, never mind. I mean, yeah, they. It, How are they bad? I mean, obviously, it should be much better yeah. than they're doing, but I don't know. I, I thought they were like, I thought they were like tenth or eleventh, maybe or something like that. How are they bad? Yeah, that schedule is brutal. USC plays Stanford. They're at, at Washington. They're at Notre Dame. They're at Cal, which is not going to be fun. At BYU, which also probably isn't going to be fun. And not a layup. The only layups on their schedule. I mean, the first five, their first six games is Fresno State, Stanford, at BYU, Utah, at Washington, at Notre Dame. That's tough. If, that Clay, is... Helton makes it, if Clay Helton makes it to Arizona on October 19th, um, I'd be I'd be surprised. Yeah, he he's a dead he could be a dead man. Yeah, I think so too. All right, there's our there's pressure. Okay, Jacob Hibbert has an interesting one. If the SEC were to abandon divisions and switch to a system where every team has two locked-in rivalry games within the conference, and the rest of the schedule was determined randomly, which two locked-in games would you want for LSU? 
He says he'd want A&M because of geography and Ole Miss because of history. As the history guy, I will say that far and away, the two teams we have played the most are Ole Miss and Mississippi State. We've played Mississippi State 109 times, which is actually the school record. But I'm willing to admit that Mississippi State, even though we've played them a ton, doesn't quite have the panache of the rivalry. So I would say probably if I could keep two, it would be A&M and Ole Miss. I think that feels like LSU's rivals. I'd say Ole Miss, yeah. I would I would keep Ole Miss. And then I'd go probably Alabama game I hate now. Like it, I just I'm just, it's just so it's not fun anymore, but I feel like at some point the worm's gonna turn. Like Nick Saban um probably isn't gonna live forever. I'm not sure, but I, I think <laughs> might. at some point. Yeah, like I'm I'm not hundred percent sure on it, but But also like where do you rank on Alabama's list of rivals historically. Yeah, that's true. Like, I mean, I guess if you figure, if you start to like really think about it, Alabama, wouldn't choose us. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Good. Maybe that, I mean, no, they're picking they Tennessee choose. first and yeah, then maybe do, do Auburn. They really care. I mean, yeah. do they really care about that Tennessee game? Like, like really? they, they do. They do. Even though Tennessee has been down in the past, you know, what decade and a half or whatever, they oh, really do care about that game. Yeah. It, it just doesn't like, I don't know. So yeah, I, I guess if we figure Alabama's out because they'd schedule, and if you figure Auburn's out because they'd say Florida, Florida and Georgia, or, or Georgia, and Alabama, Georgia and Alabama, yeah. yeah. Um, I guess I would take Florida, maybe. I don't know. Right. Um, Try to avoid AM. I, I like the, I like the hustle. Yeah, I don't know. I, I got nothing really for AM. I don't know. Florida, I, I got, I've got some like just just hating me for. All right. Um, so AM, kind of. If you see, I guess I'd take Florida. Seth? Yeah, I, well, I was going to actually say Florida, too, just because of the past 10 to 15 years, we've had some really good games against them, and they're fun. You know, I think we're all in agreement uh, with Ole Miss because uh, it's nice to get a free W every year. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's not just the free W. It's the fact that no, it's fun. It's fun playing against them. Yeah, well, it is a, a genuine historic rivalry, you know. So I, I think Ole Miss, if you had to say who is LSU's biggest rival – Historically speaking, I think you have to say it's Ole Miss. Yeah. yeah. And if I could pick a team, I mean, this doesn't really fit the the question, but if I could pick a team that I'd like to see more games against, it's Georgia. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. It's weird. Georgia, and I, we, we don't even feel like we're in the same conference and never have. It's LSU crazy. And Georgia, LSU and Georgia have rarely played, even before expansion. Yeah, like I wanted to pick an East team just because like, it's like, feels like we don't like and never play them. Yeah, we, we never have. It just, like, it just doesn't. Like, I was, like, we've played Tennessee, like, three, four oh, times man. in 15 years. I mean, yeah, it feels yeah. less. Then, I mean, it feels less. Yeah, because the last one wasn't a game. No, that's the, true. Yeah. Here, here's the funny thing. All right, here are te- LSU has only played 10 teams 50 times or more. All right? Of those 10 teams, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Right, hang on, let's do it this other way. One, two, two of them are not SEC team are not SEC teams at all, and one of them is recently an SEC team at A and M. Because Rice and two, we've played Rice and Tulane yeah. yeah. more than like three or four teams in the SEC. That is mind boggling. SEC, it's so bad. It's just... I mean, and this is historically like going all the way back. LSU has just always played Texas teams. You know, like we we played Rice, we played A yeah. and M. 
we're about to play Texas. <laughs> you know, we we played Arkansas sixty three times. We played Arkansas a ton before they joined the conference. Now that's a real rivalry. That's right. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. to Arkansas. Now it's the battle for the boot. Yeah, notice how that didn't even get mentioned. Yeah, I like they didn't even come to my mind until you like. Yeah, we're in the same conference as them. Holy God, how did that happen? Huey Long hated them. That's what I learned this this summer. Huey Long really hated Arkansas. Well, in the vein of teams from the East and easy wins, Max Toscano did reply to Jacob with, I'd say Ole Miss and Vandy. Let's not screw around. I want free wins. <laughs> there we go. Don't blame. Uh, yeah, you know, you need a tough game. I, I still want good games. but Yeah, I'd probably go Ole Miss and Texas A&M, too. Yeah, I think that's that's the way to go. All right, Brady Resch wants to know, or Resch, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that correctly. Brady, sorry. Will Georgia Southern and LSU get a weather delay? Yes. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh. It never rains in Tiger Stadium, but my God, do we have weather delays. We have heavy <sighs> mist. Yeah, or please no. I- I've waited this long for football. Oh, I mean, this happens. Like, I just, I just have, I don't, well, after like two years in a row where we had the darn weather Light- delay. Yeah, lightning delay. Yeah. I need this game I to be one, played. One game canceled, like we lost the game. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, let's play this damn thing. Yeah.